Hey, welcome to Renton Christian Center and our Sunday morning message. Hope you enjoy it, and I hope you hear from God in the process. Well, while we're wrapping that up, I uh, had a chance to do a little research on the Industrial Revolution. Anybody ever found that fascinating? Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing. The Industrial Revolution occurred from about, oh, 1760 to 1820, 1840. That's the window of time. And the reason it's so significant is, especially in Europe and America, is because um, it changed the way people spend their days, their nights, their weeks, and their weekends. It changed everything. Because we went from an agrarian society where people were farming or shepherding animals, or a craftsmanship society, where every family had a trade. And they also had the master tradesman and then the apprenticeship among the children. The woman would be managing part of the business as well, and so the home became literally the store as well. So if if people needed any kind of thing, they would come to so-and-so's barn and pick up a horseshoe or 12. And so uh, that kind of life, if you can imagine... A family business, literally, where every member of the family is part of it. Men stay at home. They're not running off to a factory job, leaving mom to tend to kids. Because mom right now is is managing a business with dad, tending to kids too, but probably homeschooling as well. So both mom and dad had like this executive role in raising families. Very powerful, very much requiring all the gifts of the family so this family can operate well and prosper. So the Industrial Revolution comes along and um, changes all that. Because not only is there like an economical change, but also the closeness and the tight-knitness of families was reduced when dad went off to work or a son was old enough and he went off to work too. Or now all five or eight kids are old enough and they're all leaving. And mom is home alone and now there's this new thing called empty nest that never occurred before. So family relationships changed, spiritually things changed, because no longer was dad available to train and teach and raise up the next generation in the things of God. And one of the changes that I think is so fascinating is um, productivity was completely altered forever, because no longer was there a long-term commitment of a single craftsman or a craftsman's family to develop a product. Now, there were assembly lines. There was conformity. There was standardization. There was like boom, 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 long machines, more power and and more ability to crank things out, less skill required by the workers running the assembly line. These had one little specialized job to do. It stayed the same all day long, and they went home. It was wonderful for our economy. That was the beginning of capitalism, pretty much, in Europe and America. Capitalism, it existed in theory, but this mass production where wealth just exploded all around the Western nations uh, among families and individuals. It was great economically to standardize, to have conformity, to have uh, quality of products coming off at the end. They're all the same. If if you buy the first one or the last one, it's going to be just the same as this guy got. Same cost, same everything else. In fact, it was around that time Henry Ford said, by the way, if you want a Model T, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. (laughs) So the standardization in Western economies was fabulous on an economic level. But here's the reason I want to paint that picture. It's a horrible way to treat people. Conformity, sameness, production line. Everybody go through the same stuff, come out with the same outcome. 
God did not create humans to be cookie cutters. God created humans so that every single one of us is an absolutely unique individual. But the way a lot of our culture is set up is school and uh, postgraduate work and even jobs and definition of a successful employee. What does it say? It says do it this way, this way, this way. And it's the same for all of you all the time. And when I read my Bible, I don't see God handling you and I that way. I see him handling us with incredible dexterity, nimbleness, variety. He's got a single individualized plan for every single one of us. He's trying to develop this human that has never lived before and will never live again. That's you and that's me. Now, I say all that to say that's pretty exciting to me. Don't you think? And, and I know some of us are older, and so we've sort of been there, done that. We've sort of like figured out who we are. We found our voice, and we, you know, know our strengths and our weaknesses. So I want you to turn around and encourage the young among us to go on their exploration as to who am I in God? And it's a good time after talking about answering the question from Ephesians, who am I in Christ? Remember the list of all those qualities that God has declared about us that had nothing to do with our ability or achievement? had everything to do with his declaration. This is who I am in the heavenly realms. But the Bible doesn't stop there. He also wants us to explore who we are in the earthly realms. When it comes to my spot, my place, my strengths, my what do I add, what do I bring to the table, that's a study we're supposed to take part in a great deal of the time. And God's job is to perhaps reveal, provide opportunity, or confirm but Paul says, that's my job. I'm supposed to figure out who and what am I? What have I been given? And how do I put it to use to give back to God for his glory? So that takes us to one of my favorite books, favorite chapters in the Bible. That's Romans chapter 12. So let's take a look. I'm going to read it, and I've got it on the screen too if you don't have a device or a Bible. And uh, it's interesting that Paul... Well, I'm just going to let you figure it out. I'm just going to read the first two verses here in Romans 12. By the way, before we go there, <clears throat> I have to back up. I couldn't think of a title for my series, so I borrowed one from the Internet. So anyway, here's my, here's my working titles. Maybe by next week I'll have it figured out. Um, the Tapestry of You. That was going to be the series. Or The Original You. Or You, the movie. <laughs> or You, starring You. Or you the prequel, the sequel, or the whatever. So I, I just got a little too corny, so I don't know yet. But it's going to have something to do with who, who am I in the natural world that's to be combined with my spiritual life so that I am a complete person. Romans 12 is a good place to start there. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We were designed to live on two planes simultaneously, the spiritual and the natural. And you can be an overly spiritual Christian and make everything about the spirit realm, about prayer and demons and the Holy Spirit and the sovereignty of God and, and not really ever study or look into your natural life to see how it complements. 
But that, that's not being more spiritual. That's just being out of touch with what God has designed for us. I want to ask you, can you find the two items that refer to human involvement in those verses? First one is this one. We're supposed to offer two parts of ourselves. What's the one in here? What? Our bodies. Bodies. Our bodies. Have you got one? Pinch yourself. You got one. We all have one, okay? And in this one, what are we supposed to do there? Offer our minds. Nothing about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, prayer, the supernatural, anything. Our bodies and our brains. That's it. And some, again, Christians think, well, that's just not very spiritual. It's kind of carnal, earthly. It's all going to burn, blah, 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 blah. Paul doesn't think so. Paul says, no. In view of God's mercies, not in order to earn his mercy, but because he's been so stinking good to us, give your physical, your everyday walking around life back to him. I'm dwelling on this a little bit longer than usual because we've got an assignment. If we haven't taken the time to really figure out what makes me tick, how am I wired, what are my spiritual gifts, um, we're never going to be able to fulfill the complete picture that God has for us. And I will say as well, you will not have much fun in life. Because when we live up to our God-given design, that's when things start cooking. Some of you have noticed that, right? Some of you are living that right now. So let's take a, a look at just a breakdown again. Some of this is not new material for you, but if it's old, familiar, be reinforced and then turn around and share it with somebody you love. Somebody who hasn't figured these things out. Encourage Christians who haven't really discovered how amazing they are to try things, to experiment, to affirm things that you see in them. So let's take a look. Number one, Paul says, offer your bodies to God for his use. And there's the verse again. In view of God's mercy, not in order to earn it, but like you said back in chapter 9, because of all of this mercy and this gift of salvation, give something back. Give your body to him. When you look at that word offer in the original language, I love original languages because it's much more colorful and it's a lot more ah, diverse in meaning and options. And so the word offer is from the word perihistami. It means to firmly set before. You don't just kind of toss and kind of not think about it. It's a very sober and solemn placing of something in the presence of another. What I think is so cool is um, a lot of these Greek words have some English derivatives. Do you recognize anything from that Greek word in today's language? I'll give you a hint. Antihistamine. Yeah. We have antihistamines today. The Greek word antihistamine is just that, that simple part that the word firm describes. It means to, to restrict, to tighten up. That's where the firmness comes up. It's so like this resolve that you have is also the word that describes what happens when you and I are breathing pollen in the air. And what happens? All of our passages just tighten up and you can't breathe. So you take an antihistamine to open things back up. So what Paul's reminding us is saying, look, when you offer your bodies, this is not some light little, whew, just a kind of semi-casual, not loose. It's firm. It's like the histamine has taken over. It's like tightening up. And you want your resolve to be sure and to be tight. It's not something you waffle in and out of. This body belongs to God. In fact, I had a friend played bass here for, for many years. He had a t-shirt. He was a bodybuilder. And, of course, what do bodybuilders always wear? 
really tight shirts, okay? He had one. I can't, I can't complain. They look cool. Anyway, he said, this bod belongs to God. So that was the way he witnessed in the gym, which I thought was really cool. But anyway, this, this histamine that occurs in our body is actually God's protection against the pollen. God says, we don't want this pollen in your body, so I'm going to shut things down so you can't breathe. Well, I don't really like that, so I'm going to take a nasal spray or something. At any rate, what we want to do when it comes to our bodies is say, Lord, this is not just kind of a casual thing. I show up at church, and yeah, whatever, but I'm going to go do my own thing. My life is physical, my mental, my talents, my passions, my strengths really need to be firmly and clearly offered to you with a solemn and serious commitment to stick with it. Simple. Offer your bodies. The word bodies, this is really super deep. It means body. It means the flesh, the blood, the bones, the sinew, the nervous system. It's just the living, fleshy, physical body of men or animals. I think that elevates humanity to a great, high spiritual place. God says, I inhabit your body. I can, if given the opportunity, work through your body in absolutely miraculous, supernatural ways. But not if you don't give it to me. It's got to be a solemn offer, and then I just want the stuff. The thing that I um, have often heard and, and probably thought myself is the stuff I've been given is just not that great. It's not that useful. I'm just not all that good looking. I can do some things well, a lot of things poorly. God can't use me, especially when I compare to people whoo, who are like rock stars in Christ, you know. I will never arrive at that. So therefore, I have nothing. That is not what Paul says is an option. If you have something, it's God-given. It can be used for his glory. It's ultra-practical. So Scripture commands us, listen to this, to study how we were wired, how we were designed. Psalm 139, we mention it often. Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and... Here's the part I'm talking about. I know that full well. It's like I've really paid attention to what makes me tick. I really got it nailed. In fact, I could draw you a schematic, a blueprint about 48 pages long because I've spent the time to say, Lord, who am I, not only in Christ, but here on earth as a man, as a believer, as a father, as a husband? Who am I in terms of what I bring to any relationship? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Talk to me about that, not so I can brag, but so I can be useful. Assessment tools are one way to do that. Can the Holy Spirit reveal them to you? Sure, of course he can. He's into the truth. That's what he does, the truth. Uh, but sometimes our ears don't work very well, so we need tools, like assessment tools, that ask us questions to help us kind of narrow our focus. And when we get close, then the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, that's you. And that's when other people will say, yeah, that's you. I see that in you all the time. So it's like this triad of confirmation. We've got my own research, I've got the Holy Spirit, and I've got other people. When you've got three people and an assessment tool that helped me get there, you're probably going to start getting close. The final witness is when we start experimenting with our gift, and we try it on people. That's kind of creepy. Think about that. Let me experiment. Would you like to be my guinea pig today? 
not creepy, maybe scary is a better word. But that's the final confirmation when you give away wisdom, knowledge, physical ability, help, comfort, counsel, whatever it is, and you see a manifestation of God's power in the recipient, that's when you go, hey, I could be called to this. But unless we get through that experimental phase, we'll never be able to make use of all those confirmations. So that's why Paul says, offer your everyday walking around flesh and blood. And he says, when you do this, and you offer yourself as living sacrifices, keep in mind, your life isn't like the Old Testament follower of God. Now, this living sacrifices, if you're not really familiar with the Jewish traditions and the Old Covenant, you're going to miss it. Paul is speaking in the book of Romans primarily to the Jewish community. They were most of them, many of them, living in Rome. Huge Jewish population. Some had come to Christ, some had not. But every good Jew had in his brain visions of sacrifices. If they were anywhere near the temple, at least once a year for their entire lives, they know what sacrifice is about. And Paul says they were all dead ones. Always dead. There was no sacrifice ever offered at the temple on the altar that was not dead. Living sacrifice, never, always dead. So it was really important for Paul to go, that's not you. The one final sacrifice has been made. It's over. It is finished. The Son of God paid the price. Your sacrifice will not be you curling up in a ball and dying or getting so overused and worn out that you burn to a crisp and can't do anything. No, it's a living. And actually the word in the original, it actually has this breathing, joy-filled kind of energy to it. It's the word zoe, Z-O-A or Z-O-E. And it means this zoe kind of life, like life in all its manifestations. It's a bright life. So he says, offer your lives, your bodies as living sacrifices. They're not going to be dead ones. They're going to be living. So again, that says to me, if, if my view of Christianity is this standardized conformity, repetitious, everybody comes out the same, like the Stepford Wives, you know? That is not what God's looking for here. Your body, the way you were wired, you offer it, get serious about it, figure out what it's got on the inside, and begin to live for Him. Okay, so this is kind of the beginning of how, how do I find my gifts, and what are my strengths, and how do I assess those things? It begins with a serious offering of our bodies, because this is holy, it's pleasing to God, and it's your proper way to worship Him. Obviously, holy has a lot of, a lot of uses. And for me, it often refers to sinless, righteous or right living, doing things right, not having any flaws or crossing any boundaries or any lines. I'm holy and pure. But that's only part of the definition, an essential part. But staying inside the lines doesn't say anything about activity. Like, okay, I'm, I haven't sinned yet, but um, what should I do with the rest of the day? There's an active holiness, too, that God has called us to because the word holy, it actually has more to do with being set apart for a purpose. It's like an assignment. To be holy is I'm going to stay on track with what I was made for and stay inside those boundaries, not this circle of perfection, but rather activity. Not solely your own. So they're holy purposes, sinless, but they're a pathway to live our lives on. 
Russell Wilson, uh, quarterback of the Seahawks, now uh, was originally offered a job for the San Diego Padres as well as the Seahawks. Do I have that right? Was it the Padres? Oh, Texas Rangers. Thank you. And um, he actually uh, went to spring training, did some tryouts, and uh, it was sort of like kind of humorous. Nobody took him seriously, but he did it. And uh, he was invited, he was recruited, and then he went and tried out for the Seahawks. And theoretically, there was this moment where Russell Wilson was kind of weighing it out. Okay, baseball, football, baseball, football. We all know the end of the story, but in many ways, what he was doing was saying, okay, what was I really designed for? I'm going to pick one. I can't pick them both. And I'm going to be doing this for as long as I possibly can. I can't really afford to pick poorly. So, so what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Um, what's the longevity of this particular career path versus this one? Um, how's it going to impact other people? As far as I can tell, he seems to be a believer. How's it going to impact my influence on others? So he's weighing everything out, measuring himself. What am I good at? What am I fast at? What am I slow at? What, have I, what am I not quite getting here? What's the competition like? Assessment, 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 assessment. We all know he chose the Seahawks, and I personally am thankful for that. But what he was saying to himself was, I was set apart for this versus all the other things. So this part of the process of discovery really does have a lot to do with knowing yourself, your strengths, weaknesses, and gifts, and those kinds of things. So he says, if we do this, we will please God. How many of you want to please God? I think that's pretty exciting. That's actually possible. I can try to stay inside the boundaries of holy behavior, but I also want to know that that's not all I get to do is just twiddle my thumbs and be pure. Woo-hoo. I want to be active. I want to produce something because he designed me to. And he says, if you do that, you'll be pleasing to God. And by the way, if you want to figure out what true worship is about, it's this. This is the proper way to worship God with your entire life. Every day, energy, time, resources, talents, and everything else. Again, I, I'm looking forward to showing you some online resources that are accessible from anywhere. You don't have to like be taking tests here in church. We're not going to waste your time with that. You can do it on your own. But there's a lot of great stuff now, both online, in books, and on paper that um, I look forward to sharing with you. So if this is the case, then we can take a look at the following portion of this starting point. He says, offer your mental capabilities for renewal. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, at that point, you'll be able to test and approve. In other words, figure out what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love word studies. This word, conform. Okay, this is a test. I'm keeping you guys awake today. Another question. The word conforms, suschematizo, has inside that word what? Schematic. It's exactly what it means. A schematic. It's a blueprint. It's a detailed plan. It's a, it's a direction to take that says, that's got to be a two by four, not a two by six. You need an 18 inch foundation, not a 12 inch foundation. It's detailed blueprint, schematic. Now, when he begins this verse, he talks about not being conformed or having a schematic of this world. So it starts with a negative. Don't follow the plans of the world. How many of you 
believe the world has a plan for your life and has no concern for you whatsoever. What kind of things does the world system say to us about how to spend a human life? What's a successful life look like in today's worldly terms? Say again. Wealthy, Wealthy yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, my hearing is going, I can't hear everybody at once. So one at a time, nice and loud. Money, wealth, material possessions. How do we handle relationships? We don't. Jessica. You got to look young. Yeah, that's the plan, man. Relationally, what do we do? We tend to find ways to get what we want from other people at little or no cost. Right? We, we use, abuse, manipulate, preen, whatever it takes to get their attention so we can be happy and we kind of just throw them away afterwards. That's the world system. So Paul says, this is where we all started at varying degrees, depending on your childhood. And so understand what that world is about and what they're up to. Because if you don't re-schematize your thinking, you're going to keep doing the same old thing. It takes absolute attention and work. Okay, so don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Another English word shows up. What is that? Metamorphosis. And the illustration is always using a butterfly. Yeah, cocoon, worm, butterfly, caterpillar rather. The definition is to change into another form, to transform, to transfigure. Now, if I start with the picture of a blueprint, here's my life. And the way the world wants me to live, I could start line by line, erasing. That's not where the boundary goes. That's not the foundation. How long is that going to take? Forever. You can try to undo worldly thinking and spend a lifetime. You can be an expert at how the world thinks. And some Christians think that's the best way to invest their time. God says, nah, it's good to know a few things, kind of capture the big ones and learn how to distinguish between the world's ways and God's ways. But the primary activity should be renewing our mind to the way God thinks, right? What's your blueprint for my life? That takes activity. It takes study. It takes time, energy, and effort. So Paul says this whole process is an activity of the mind. And so what he wants us to do is to renew, anachinosis. I don't see any English words in there. Means renewal, renovation, complete change for the better. So let's renew our minds and capture the things that are worldly in nature and go, uh uh, I don't think so. And begin to ask, Lord, how do I see this from your vantage point? Well, the only way you're going to be sure about God's vantage point is to know the word. You have to know the truth. You have to know the truth if you want to be free to be the person God designed you to be. If you believe a lie, you will live a lie. If you believe a truth, you will live the truth. So that's what he's referring to. Renew your mind so that your understanding, your judgment, your faculties for perceiving. It's the word nous, N-O-U-S. One's understanding, judgment, faculties. So, so work on the stuff that goes on up here. And then you'll be able to understand and see and experience what God's perfect will is for your life. How long does that take? Five years? Ten? <laughs> Ten weeks. Yeah, it takes a lifetime. So it's not something we ever finish and go, I've got it. I'm done here. Okay, let's move on now. No, it requires a lifetime. 
So you don't want to sprint and try to do this all in a day or do this all in a year even. You want to meet it out so that you can live, as Eugene Peterson says, in the rhythms of grace. And you're constantly learning, constantly growing. I want to know who I am in Christ and I want to know who I am in the natural so that I can offer my body and my mind to God. One last thought. Do you know that everything in nature is transformed by something outside of itself. It requires outside pressure. Coal only becomes diamonds because of the heat and the weight of the earth upon it. Water only becomes ice because of the outside culture of freezing air. Humans only become more Christ-like when we, we're the outside force, we actually take our brains and tell it what to do. Your brain is not in charge of you. You are in charge of your brain. And so our decision maker, our, our ability to set our will and say, I'm going to believe this instead of that. I'm going to think this instead of that. I'm going to do this instead of that. That's how we renew our mind. It takes the outside force of ourselves, the Holy Spirit, other people, and sometimes experience as well. Final question, where would you say, say um, most of your demons, our demons, come from? The past, the present, or the future? Ever think about that? Yeah, past, present, or future. Some of us are anxious about the future, but I would say most of us, we've got these old narratives. Said, like we heard in the video, you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, it's over for you, don't expect much. And that's exactly the area where mind renewal has to begin. What's the truth about God's love for me? Let's start there. What's true about me? And I believe with that, we're going to be able to experience what Paul says, you know, you're going to have a, a life that pleases God. It's going to be holy, but it's going to be fresh and alive and unique and creative and, and enjoyable. And people are going to go, wow, you could be a Christian and have that much fun? Yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. That's the pleasing will of God. So I look forward to the several weeks coming up and um, hope you do too. So make sure you're either here or check it out online if you can't make it on a Sunday. And let's learn together. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Let's cut it short. Man, we're sweating bullets up here. <laughs> thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, and your invitation, Lord, to exert energy, Lord, in this walk with you so that we can really be a unique people in this earth. Lord, we want to be strangers in a strange land, people that don't follow the patterns of this world, the conformity to this world, the standardization, so we can be more economical. Lord, we want to become the people that are fresh and alive and as beautiful as a rainbow or a field of flowers. So help us to personally make the decision, Lord, to invest. And Father, for those of us who are well along the way, give us the reminder to turn around and, and encourage the one behind us. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, happy Memorial Day. God bless you. And we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We have great music and worship, a stimulating message for the adults, as well as Sunday school for our wildfire students and True North kids. We'll take great care of your nursery-age kids as well. If you haven't already found us online, we're at rccfoursquare.org. Now, here's a final word from Pastor Kevin. 
Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.